Each one of us wants to feel loved. We seek a partner. We navigate dating introductions to hopefully find someone to share our lives with. We commit to a relationship and try to make it work. We fail. And we find the courage and energy to start over. We all want to be loved. We seek love. We find someone to love. Then, what happens next? Today, I had the privilege of having a conversation with Mark Green, a writer with the Good Men Project and dear friend of mine for over 15 years. Uh, we talk about relationships. We talk about masculinity and some of the problems that men have in the world today, dealing with emotions and dealing with difficult situations. I'm honored to have Mark as a guest and look forward to many more podcasts with Mark to share his wisdom. Hey, so this is John Mack, Love on the Air. I'm so excited today to be able to talk to one of my long-term friends, Mark Green, another fellow Goodman Project writer. Uh, Mark is actually the person that got me engaged with the Goodman Project. Thank you, sir. Uh, and I'm so excited to talk to Mark today about his journey in finding love, particularly after a divorce with children. Uh, it's a difficult task. There's a lot of moving parts, and uh, it does happen for some of us. And Mark, uh, I believe, is in a successful long-term relationship, uh, joyously and happily transitioned. Uh, and I wanted to give Mark a chance to tell us a little bit about his journey and process in finding himself and finding a long-term relationship after a uh, divorce. Well, so thank, Mark, you for, well, thank you for the conversation, John. I appreciate it. Yeah, and feel free to tell us just to tell me just a little bit about yourself. Uh, of course, I know, but people tuning in uh, don't know the Mark Green story. So tell a little bit about what you're up to, Mark. Okay. Well, my um, my current um, work is around. I, I write and uh, speak about masculinity, uh, not only as a senior editor for the Goodman Project, but also uh, I have uh, an online organization called Remaking Manhood, and it. My goal is to um, is to help um, men sort of get a better sense of what our larger culture of masculinity has taught us about things like relationships and about being men in the world. We have a um, particular term. Uh, it came out of a guy named Paul Kivel's work in in Oakland in the 1980s with the Oakland Men's Project. He calls it uh, the "act like a man" box and. Tony Porter calls it the man box, but this is the set of rules that men are taught, which I think catastrophically impact relationships, among other things, both uh, personal and professional relationships. But these rules of being a man, which include things like don't show your emotions, always be tough, always be a leader, never show uncertainty. And one of the rules of the man box, as defined by Kivel, and I think it's accurate, is that men should be uh, sexually aggressive and have control over women. Um, that's sort of the expectation. And whether or not we actually do that successfully is irrelevant. I can tell you that the dialogues men have back and forth in their most, in, in sort of the unhealthy manifestations of masculinity include a lot of talk about women as, as objects, as, uh, you know, did you get some of that? I'd like to hit that. All this sort of language, which is diminishing of women. Um, additionally, the, the result of man box culture which I think impacts relationships as well, 
is uh, we we start teaching boys at a very early age don't show your emotions um uh, and because of that reason uh we you know in the work that my partner and I Saliha do we we talk about relational capacities that is the ability to uh, to center relationships over roles and to, to operate in that, that third space of the relationship, how, how to empower ourselves in that way. Um, because we, we believe that emotions actually emerge out of the back and forth between uh, us and the person we are engaging with, professionally, personally, in a romantic relationship, whatever, that our emotions come out of that back and forth. In other words, you say something, I hear it. I have a response to it. I may react emotionally to that. You hear that emotional response. You react to that. And so we, we either scale up the reactivity or we scale it down or whatever. But emotions emerge out of that relational space. Because we tell boys don't show your emotions, they never get to do the trial and error work over the period of years as children and young men to learn how to do that in a nuanced way, to learn to access things like empathy um, you know, the ability to hold uh, uncertainty, uh, to consider context, to do all these things that, that we can learn to do over time as we succeed and fail in expressing emotion and finding out the best way to do that. We don't let boys do that. So we end up with men who are emo- what, what we call emotionally unavailable. And I, I carried that weight uh, for decades, that inability to uh, manage uh, communication about my emotions because when you don't get to connect emotionally, it's isolating. And ultimately, underneath all that man box bravado and stuff, there's really just, a, in my case at least, there was a lot of uncertainty and a lot of self-loathing. So we end up with that kind of human being trying to form a relationship romantically in a marriage or, or whatever the context is. And, um, and these are the challenges that men face, and these are the challenges that I had to overcome in order, I think, to have a successful relationship. Yeah, I loved one of the – was the phrase you used relational capacity? Yes. Is that the phrase? I really right. like that. And we, I, uh... we use that, that language, relational capacities, to mark those aspects of being human that I believe we are all born with. If you look at an infant – an infant is already connecting in relational ways, co-creating with you a relationship, right? They're, they're cooing, they're, they're making eye contact, they're doing these things out of the joy of connection. And little boys' friendships, little boys playing, we see that joy of friendship, that joy of connection. And it's all happening in that moment by moment back and forth of relating, of the improvisational play, of the joy of connection. So relational capacities are... Those things that we bring naturally to being human, both boys and girls, um, that that help us operate in that relational space that we share when we're in, you know, in connecting, and those things get suppressed by the rules of the man box. We 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 don't get to show emotions that suppresses our relational capacities when we're told as boys look, only little boys or girls want, want friendships. You don't, you know, what's all that about? Yeah, sure. Um, that's yeah. weak, that's weak to, to need connection that suppresses those relational capacities. They're all there. They remain in place, but they get suppressed and silenced. So it's not mm-hmm. a tool. It's not, it, I mean, it's an intention really to be relational, to put the relationship first before myself 
or the other. Sometimes in relationships, we may be totally focused on ourselves. This is what I need. This is what I want. This is, or we can be totally focused on the other person. I have no value. I, I have low self-esteem. Yeah. So whatever you want, whatever you need, whatever, you know, if I give yeah. you enough stuff, you'll eventually give me what I need. And neither of those positions focuses on the relational space, which is what we are creating. And it's yeah. only when we when we look at that relational space and and use our relational capacities do we do we begin to form something that's good for both of us. Yeah, yeah. I call I always refer to that uh, certainly in action in the in the moment as creating the we. Yeah, you know, and yeah, paying that's another way to, to talk about it. We you know, rather than just our individual, we've all got our individual agendas and calendars and things that we have to take care of. But just coming back around for a minute and considering the we in all of those transactions gives a moment for that relationship to take center stage and to try to find, for me, the balance of my life as a man in the world and my life as as a partner. Yeah. And I, I mean, I, I think that having spent some time in this idea of relational spaces, I think the me and the you, I, I'm coming to a place where I'm beginning to think of those as, as illusory, right? They yeah. are false uh, representations of what's actually happening because we are continually in relationship with others. So what we believe we are as individuals is being co-created and changing and morphing and shifting as we exist in the world. Um, And so in that way, to say that we momentarily focus on uh, the relational, I think we're on it all the time. We're just not Mm. mindful of that fact. We're not aware of the degree to which we are are actually we. We're not just me. I can't, if you ask me where the line is between me and you, I can't actually differentiate that. I can't actually say, oh, yeah, all this stuff in this little box over here is me. And the, that stuff over there is you. Because, John, you and I have uh, a history together. We have the humor and the, and the amusement that we find in each other's company. We have the intellectual relationship. But where, where I stop and you begin isn't all that clear to me. But where yeah. we are, I can, I can see that more easily than I can see our separate selves. So I, I yeah. view I view relationships as as being co-created minute by minute, exchange by exchange, and that 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 that's actually the part of it that that I love. You know, that's the part mm-hmm. of being in the world that I care about. The me is like, yeah. you, know, you know, I you know, I've been with him for a long time. I I got a little tired yeah. of just being with him. I want to be I want to yeah, be with us. Uh- the, the mindfulness and awareness that comes from just dropping into that concept um, that I'm in this conversation at this moment, we're sort of tuning in to one another and that relationship is what we're co-creating even in a simple conversation. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And, and so when you ask me about my marriage and my relationship and whatnot, I, I, I think that what, well, for one thing, it's very important to say that in my in my belief system, the the a divorce is co-created. We we no no single individual is responsible 
for a bad outcome. Now, I, I yeah. don't I don't want to make anybody feel like I'm I'm denying what happens in a, in spousal abuse or domestic violence sure. or any of that stuff. Um, yeah. But ultimately, in the in the larger realm of life, we begin to create set patterns and create outcomes uh, that I, I am not going to say uh, my marriage failed because of someone else. I, it it failed in in equal part because of who I am at that sure. time, who who I was, what I the way that I set up that relationship and and the way I tried to make it work. And I think my lack of, of self-esteem at that time uh, triggered a lot of problems, which I would not take ownership of. And, uh, and in fact, set patterns in place that over time were, were very difficult to make work at all. And, um, mm. and, and so I, I think what, what comes out of that for me is um, – the relationship that I found now, my current marriage, my current relationship was based on a different, a different way of thinking about myself and about my partner and, and about the work that I needed to do in order to be a good partner. Well, and so tell me a little bit about, I mean, you, you change as you, as you say, as divorce gets co-created and we end up leaving that we, I mean, obviously with children, there's no, there's no leaving. Um, right. But, but you had to sort of reinvent yourself then from these broken feelings of your self-esteem, the things that you just expressed that you really didn't have right about your life. Um, how did that, how did that transformation take place over the next however many years until you uh, met Sally Hawk? Hmm. I what think kind that, of work did you do? You know, what kind of things yeah, did you do to, yeah. to recover this more authentic mark? Well, I, I leaned into my relationship with my son uh, at that mm -hmm. time, tried to um, think hard about why I wanted to be in, in a relationship. And by that, I mean, what's the, why can't I just kick back and not be in one? What's going on with me that I want to be, I want to be in a romantic relationship? Where's that coming right. from? And you have to sit with that discomfort for a while before you fully understand um, the challenges of being who you are, right? If, I mean, we tend to run away from our discomfort a lot in life. And that's one mm -hmm. of the reasons why we don't do the work uh, the, to sort of lean into that discomfort and say, uh, what's going on there? For me, I, um, I did not sit with that question for very long. I said, I want to be in a relationship, and I pursued it. But I did come out of that entire experience with one observation. And the observation that I made was that when I was younger, when I was a young man, I had girlfriends, and, and uh, among them were some, some girls who I, I really honestly believe loved me for who I was, really mm -hmm. genuinely liked me. At, at just liked m this person that I was at that time. And of course, being a young man in the world, I didn't value that. In fact, I, I thought of that as, oh, well, if they like me, they can't be that bright. You know, who would like me? Mm -hmm. So there's this weird disconnect we have when someone's genuinely appreciative of who we are. We tend to instead chase unavailability or, or I, I mean, at that time, I, I, 
my history was such that I, I really believed that an angry woman was equal to a strong woman. And I wanted strength. <laughs> I wanted strength. I wanted a woman who was not going to let the world push her around. I thought yeah. that was like appealing. But but yeah. a woman who liked me and and who was who who really was willing to accept a lot of the challenges I presented, I didn't see value in that, and that was my own idiocy, mm-hmm. right? So coming mm-hmm. out of this this failed marriage, I said to myself, if I meet a person like that again, I'm not going to dismiss that. I'm gonna I'm gonna notice that, and I'm gonna I'm gonna understand that that actually is rare and a beautiful thing, and we should not dismiss it. Um, because That's that pause right there. Yeah, yeah. I really, I love that. Yeah. And I absolutely am gaining this more spiritual belief that it is a very rare thing. Right. And well, when it, when it enters our life, we need to give it reverence. Yeah. We dismiss, we dismiss it because somehow we have to climb a hill to get to what we want, or we have to do, we have to do everything the hard way and the, but yeah. The thing that I discovered over time, I've been married now for 10 years um, okay. to my partner, Saliha, is that I actually had that slightly wrong. Okay. I was right. She did like me for who I was. But what I discovered yeah. about this person, and it can be, it's not gendered, it can be a man or a woman. What I discovered about this person is she likes everybody. She has the mm. ability to love people. And oh, wow. in that moment, what I came to understand, the implications of that, if you will welcome that into your life, are huge because people mm. who know you also know you as a couple. And when your partner creates that kind of energy that people like you as an individual and like your partner and like what the couple creates, it wow. is a hugely empowering experience. And many of us, many of us are in relationships uh, I've been in relationships with people that I cared about, but that kind of isolated me, that they, they they were judgmental or they were frustrated or they had issues with other people. And so that energy got red. And, mm-hmm. and that it's so being in a world with someone who likes me for who I am because they, they're open to everyone. They, they have that way of being in the world was incredibly transformative for me because it created all this space for me to do my work where I didn't, where I was welcomed into other people's homes and other people's lives. I was able to move into that, that version of myself because I had time and space to do that work. Now, are you introverted in that way? And, and she gave you this open sort of I don't know to be with people and be expansive. I, no, I don't. I, I think I was probably the more social animal, mm. but I got again. I, I there was tension in my couple's relationship, which which got read by other people, and so it. it, it um, but I was more often the first one through the door to party, saying hello. Sure. Um, yeah, and so in that way. I don't know about the word introvert, extrovert. I, 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 okay. People really talk about that as you're, you're this or that, but yeah. I've never, I've never had that sense about, about self or others in, in that particular way. I just, it doesn't, it, mm-hmm. it doesn't resonate for me. I see people, mm-hmm. I see everything. I see every issue there is as a spectrum, right? Yeah. Um, that we are, that, you know, binaries by their nature, um, 
don't fit very well for me because I see us all as being on a spectrum of gender, of of um, introvert extrovert, of being you know uh, assertive or collaborative. I mean, all of these things we all exist on a spectrum, and I also believe that we move up and down that spectrum not only over the course of our lives but daily. We, sure. Depending on how you get out of bed in the morning, you're maybe more introverted right. or less introverted. Depending on where sure. your energy is, you know, there's days when I'm not very. I mean, right now, I feel like in this conversation with you, I feel I feel some flow happening, and I think that's in part because of my friendship with you. I, you know, I mm-hmm. I always enjoy talking with you, but also it's just that kind of day for me. And, that, and so I'm glad. right. I see. Yeah. Now this is really I, what I loved um, hearing you, you sort of lit up when you began describing Sally Ha and, mm-hmm. and that's part of that finding love and that joy that I, I have come to recognize more uh, trying to tune into the frequency or the joy or the, openness of an individual as an indicator of how we're going to get along. Um, and in my first, in my marriage, um, the, the, my, my wife and now ex-wife just wasn't a very happy person. She woke up kind of unhappy. She sort of blamed others for many of the problems in the divorce. And even then when the divorce is over, it's still not, she doesn't take the responsibility for it, but she's just kind of unhappy, kind of rageful at the world. So when you spoke of Sally Ha as this genuinely open, outgoing, gregarious, she loves everybody. And that brought you into sort of a new uh, experience, right? I mean, have you had you experienced that kind of connective and open person before. Yeah. And that's why I was able to recognize her. Um, but I had not understood the value of it previously. And I I will also say that Saliha, one of the other great things about being in relationship with Saliha is she's very clear about boundaries. She's Mm -hmm. very, very gregarious, social, connecting, cares about people and does not take shit Mm -hmm. when, and there, I'll give you an example of what I mean very specifically. Um, Saliha is not does not appreciate sarcasm. She sees no value mm. in it. She feels oh, wow. it's it's damaging and and mm. unkind and harmful. And the first time I got a little sarcastic, she was like, mm, <laughs> I, "I prefer we not do that." And wow. and the second time I got a little sarcastic, she said, "I think I told you about this already. I don't I don't want that. <laughs> I don't want that stuff." So she's not wow. this idea that someone can be open and connecting and whatever that they're a pushover is not. Mm. There's no correlation there. Um, yeah. People who understand what they need in the world and what they care about are often able to clearly define boundaries. They are also often clearly able to say where they're willing to do work and where they're willing to explore. They have mm. this ability to to sort of understand the 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 ways in which uh, they are in the world and where they are willing to stretch themselves and and seek and bridge you know across this relational space to create connection with someone and this these are mm-hmm. um, when I talk about relational capacities I talk about things like um, I mean we actually wrote a book called the relational book for parenting and we put in mm-hmm. there 
something we call the relational wheel. And on there are six relational capacities, and they include stay playful, listen with curiosity, consider context, uh, hold uncertainty, mm-hmm. reframe your stories, and something else. I never can remember all sweet, six. But, sweet. Yeah, but, those are great. But the long and short of it is, if I say, okay, I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to reframe my stories because I've got stories about my my past marriage. And if I mm-hmm. hold those stories and every time I talk about that I you know or if I say, you know what, some of those stories I had are my my baggage and I don't think they're entirely fair to me or to her. So mm-hmm. I'm going to shift those stories a little bit. I'm going to reframe them in a way that I'm happier to live with for the rest of my life or carry forward. Mm-hmm. That's a reframe of a story. But also in yeah. my relationship now with people that I work with or people that I'm in a relationship with, my child, my, my partner, um, I have to be mindful of the stories I'm growing about them now. Uh, we, uh-huh. talk, we talk about sometimes um, this idea that we get married, right? And we, we marry someone we love. And we know why we're marrying them, and we we have them there in front of us. And the 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 you know the justice the peace says you know you're mm-hmm. married now. Congratulations, congratulations, yes. you're married. And we say, gosh, I'm so glad I married you. You're perfect. And time begins to move on the clock, right? A day, a week, a month, a year, two years, three years, four years. Well, if my theory about relating, that is the back and forth by which we co-create who we are. Um, is is accurate, then clearly the person standing there is changing and growing, as are we. But we often get in the habit of saying, oh, that person I married, so glad I got that done. Now I don't have to worry about having a partner anymore because I've got the perfect partner they are right there. And we sit there metaphorically looking at that person that we married, and time's going by, and that person's changing, and they're moving down the road of life. They're walking down this beautiful road, and we can be walking with them having this conversation and evolving and changing. But if we're staring at that spot where they were, pretty soon they're over the hill and out of sight. And we've lost sight of the person that we're with because we're focused on who we feel like we want. And, mm-hmm. and this, is the, this is the nature of um, what we tend to do in terms of you know, um, cementing a person in place. So mm-hmm. this process by which uh, we relate and change and evolve. If you don't see that as the best part of a relationship, holy crap! I love the fact that we're evolving and changing. I love this walk down this road together, where we're in conversation and and crises and challenges and joyful moments and happiness and boredom and all these things we can talk through and and, and you know and and each of those human beings walking together are in that same conversation with their circles. That's the beauty of being human. And, and we are not who we were yesterday, much less two years ago. And so I have to reframe my stories. I have to watch that my stories about who I'm with are being updated, that I'm, that I'm yeah. growing them, that I'm exploring them, that I'm sure. holding them more lightly, right? That I'm not yeah. locked into, oh, because if, so, if I'm going to have a conversation with my partner about this difficult issue, and I'm pretty damn sure I know what she's going to say, that conversation is going nowhere. <laughs> exactly. We have a we have it's a capacity. Already... We have a capacity called listening with curiosity as one of the relational yeah. capacities, and and it is the intent to engage in a conversation with the expectation that we will be surprised, that we will learn something new, and and relation the, the process of growing relationally in pretty much ensures that right. 
Oh, what's new today? Tell me, talk to me. What's going on? You know? And, and so this idea of listening with curiosity is built on the premise that I'm going to not let my story, you know, predetermine how this conversation is going to go. Instead, I'm going to, we're going to have this conversation about something fun, about something difficult, about a crisis, whatever it is. This can mm-hmm. be with a, well, uh, someone you work with. It can be with your, your romantic partner, it can be with your child. And then mm-hmm. I'm going to listen to the threads of the conversation because every conversation has, has 10, 15, 20 threads. Mm-hmm. And then it has that primary thread that, that ties to your story, right? The thing that you sort of expect. And if you focus on that thread, then the conversation is going to go in that direction. And that's going to be a, you know, that you're going to predetermine the outcome of the conversation. But if you look at the other threads and you go, hey, I, I heard that part. That that's kind of the thing we've been talking about, but what's that new thing you said over there? There's a little bit of green growth there popping up. Tell me more about that. And they'll be, oh yeah, I was also thinking about that, and maybe that's another way to go. And in that process, we listen with curiosity for for the multiplicity of of other options that are always popping up, and that we're like, no, I didn't didn't see that. I'm not looking at that. That's not the main thing that I predicted. So I'm not even gonna. And in that moment, instead, we let those little growths grow and other possibilities for how that conversation can go and how that issue can be dealt with are suddenly emerging, right? It's an emergent space. So for mm-hmm. us, these relational capacities are all about creating a context in which things can emerge and other possibilities can happen and we can co-create solutions. It's surprising how many times I've been in a, in, in, at loggerheads with someone and they're saying an alternative, which is not a, not a block for either of us, and I'm not listening. I'm, I mean, I'm hearing yeah, it, but I'm like, sure. oh, no, let's stay right here in this block. Because yeah. we're, we're, we get trained into that, you know? We get trained into yeah. the binary. So <clears throat> all of these aspects of being relational are in our parenting book, and we're actually working on a book now uh, called the, Re- the Relational Book for Organizations, which is going to take these capacities into uh, businesses and organizations. And then after that, Sweet. the next one is, is for couples. Nice. Well, let me, I want to, uh, we're getting running close to time, but I have, I'm just fascinated by your concept of growing and curious listening. And are there any things that you've taken away in the last 10 years of building this dynamic and changing and curious relationship? Are there any things that you've learned when you're starting to waver or when you're starting not to maybe update Sally Ha's hmm. uh, presence in your life that kind of bring the spark back? Are there any things that you've found that can bring your presence back or bring your livelihood back or, you yeah. know, I'm asking yeah, yeah, yeah. Because um, we can get bored or we can check out. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Worse is, you know, we decide to be complacent and sort of sit back and watch the relationship but not put in the work to do the hard stuff and grow. Hmm. But anyway, I, I'm, I'm more cons- more interested in any of the ways that you found with Sally Ha to sort of re-pop or re-energize that conversation and that curiosity. Well, one way that's really powerful is to spend time apart. Um, Sally Ha just traveled hmm. for six weeks uh, on her sabbatical and was in Vancouver. And I wow. hated it. I was like, oh, I miss her. But I also <laughs> yeah. liked it because it was like, oh, okay. And, the, and on her return, you, you really come to understand the degree to which that person is, has meaning for you. But, but I'll, I, not everybody can go on a six-week sabbatical. I, I would also suggest that, um, that I'm going to sort of say the, 
the opposite of what you're asking me, and that okay. is that we have to give ourselves permission to um, to have these days of disconnection, these these times when we're feeling bad, but we can't we can't not notice them. We need mm-hmm. to pay attention on the days when we feel that way and say to our partner. I'm I'm just like this is one of those days and I'm sorry that I don't have the energy for the back and forth or I don't have this or I don't have that but I want you to know I care about you I'm just down today and sometimes okay, that so- can be really helpful as a placeholder for what you would rather be doing but acknowledging that none of us have the ability to stay in joyous relationship all right. the time yeah I also seek to do things which which are for me Work out, run, eat well, connect with my other friends as a way, as a gift to my partner, right? As a way mm-hmm. to ensure that I'm getting enough stimulus from other sources and I'm getting mm-hmm. enough self care that what I'm bringing to my partner is not the sole responsibility for my sense of well being. Sweet. So when you when you said that the day of disconnect of sort of waking up and you're in the you're in the space of you know maybe not being on the top of your mood game, mm-hmm. um, you're talking about both paying attention to that as it relates to your relationship with yourself, mm-hmm. right? So we wake up as individuals kind of like oh boy today is a day, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. but also in relationship to your partner. Because that is that primary dynamic that at least acknowledging it. But the other thing that's interesting is you can reframe that. And my my partner, Saliha, taught me a a very interesting way to think about those moments. Um, Mm -hmm. As instead of saying, Oh, I'm having a down day, Mm -hmm. her frame, which I love, is something's emerging. And I don't know what it is yet. Oh, nice. And that's a tension, right? It's It's a sense of, like we don't, every time we feel, God damn it, I don't know what's going on here. We don't have to treat mm-hmm. that as I'm not in control. Uh-uh, I don't, I'm supposed to be a happy guy. What's wrong with me? We can say something's emerging and it may take yeah. a couple of days for it to come into being, but we may be getting ready to do a very difficult shift in our own view of where our, you know, like our life path, we may be getting ready to move that thing. I sure. thought in 10 years I was going to be doing X. I, I, I sense now that I want to be doing Y. And oh boy, that's a hard, that's a hard truth to confront, right? I'm going to have to do the work of, of moving this sense of who I am a little bit off my center axis and reorient my whole world around that. That's emerging. That's creating tension for me. I feel down today. Something's emerging. It can be a small thing. It can be a big thing. But we we often hold ourselves responsible for being up or being mm-hmm. loving or being all these things. And there's this whole other range of feelings that we have that we mark as being not that and therefore problematic. When in fact, if we'd hold that range of feelings as also being generative and creating something new and not, you know, my partner said to me a long time ago, when I was going through the transition, uh, you know, because divorces take a long time and mm-hmm. the things that come after divorces take a long time. Um, she said, you know, um, maybe maybe you should learn to love the questions because the answers aren't coming right now. <laughs> and I was like, 
Oh, and I nice. took this big arm load of questions and I hugged him. I said, I love you guys. Hang around. Mm. I know you're not leaving. That's so mm, give me a big load of questions. These questions are not going to get answered today. I, no matter how much I grind on them, this is not, this is going to be an experiential answer. It's going to take two years to understand it. And I've got to just keep the questions because the answers aren't coming. That's beautiful. And that really feeds back into that curiosity, right? We don't know the answers. So let's get curious about the experience. Let's and stay and in I'm the gonna, yeah. yeah. And I'm going to wrap us, I'm going to wrap us uh, the, the conversation in that beautiful, warm, fuzzy of something is emerging. Yeah. Is a, is a wonderful frame for all our states. I mean, even a happy state. Yeah. Uh, I, I've learned recently that sometimes my upstate is something that also is not anyone else's responsibility to manage for me. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. It's only oh, yeah. for me. You know, I'm real clear on my down states, but in my manic or hyper states, I have a I have to hold the boundary for me to keep from blowing all over you with with what's going great in my life or you know what's just happened yeah. and but i love the uh i really love the phrase because it's curious it's spiritual it's about change um something is emerging and uh wow that's just a, a wonderful gift today from both you mark and from sally ha indirectly um can i throw down with one more thing Absolutely. Um, and this is a gendered observation. Um, we as men, because we're trained from an early age not to share our emotions, we don't really have much of what I would call emotional stamina. We don't have the ability mm. to be in emotion, especially challenging emotions that others are showing us or that we're feeling ourselves. So mm -hmm. we men are in the habit of fixing things, right? Oh yeah, and so my let's say my kid comes and says I I got I, you know I got a problem this happened at at school, and they're mm -hmm. crying and they're upset and and we say well tell me about what happened and then we say well this is what you do you you do this and this and this mm -hmm. and that's going to solve the problem and yeah. what we don't say but what what is implied there is so stop showing me those emotions because it's stressing the shit out of me now this oh. is this is man 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 stuff right we wow. fix things because we don't want to sit in the emotional experience when in fact what that child needs is not the not the fix what our partner needs is not the fix they mm -hmm. need us to be in that emotional space with them and let them express sometimes that's all yeah. they need just to tell the story yeah. and express it without us saying well let me fix that for you yeah this no, leads to that question of emergence we have been trained yeah. out of being in uncertainty, in discomfort, and seeing what's emerging, which is a powerfully emergent space. When we talk about a bad day, powerfully emergent space, we've been taught that don't be in that, fix it somehow, have a cocktail, request sex, do whatever to take you out of that uncomfortable space, because Lord knows we don't have any stamina for being in those spaces. But if we yeah. stay in them and see what's emerging, um, really powerful change can happen. Wow. That's awesome. And that really brings me, uh, reminds me a lot of uh, a system that I uh, refer to a lot, which is Brene Brown's sort of braving. Um, and it is that I can't de heal your trauma and what you're going through at the moment. But what I can do is stay in my own lane, 
stay close to you and let you know I'm here. But I'm not here to offer advice. I'm not here to try to fix it. Yeah. In fact, those are the traps for me. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm one of those people that something goes off and I'm like, oh, I did something wrong. What can I do to fix it? Yeah. Can I apologize? I mean, I go right into yeah. fix it mode and I'm and I'm learning to pause in that gap and just try to remain close in the relationship. Yeah. The urge and hold the, that person. The urge hold to them. fix is it tends to erase the other person's oh. experience. Right. Yeah. You're having yeah. it. Don't have it anymore. And <laughs> don't have it on me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Please. <laughs> Even if I'm responsible for it, please stop having it. Um, exactly. so that, 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 yeah. I think that's what men can learn is they can learn yeah. to be with others' emotions and keep them yeah. company in the process of their experiencing that. We don't collapse into yeah. their emotions. We don't panic and run around the room. We don't fix it. We just be <laughs> with them. And this is a skill set that men can learn. We learn it with children if we're, if we're open to that. And, and we just be with, just be with, just witness. That's all you got to do. And it's a powerful capacity, and it's every—it's the opposite of everything we've been taught as men. It's the opposite of control, fixing. I, I, you know, I'm the answer. I have to give the answer. Men have to do X. Men don't have to do anything. Men can just be with. I really love. I want to. I want to panic and run around the room all the time. Me too. Me too. That's such a I great fucking, metaphor. I'm a, it's like, I'm oh a great shit, you have fucking run. I'm a Charlie Chaplin movie, man. <laughs> I am. You're having an emotion. I'm that I'm that old camera that sped up people running around. Yeah. So I have to remind (laughs) myself not to do that. Yeah. Let me get some magic tricks and some chocolate and some coffee. What do you need? Anything. I'll go get some ice cream. What do you need? I'll I'll fix it. Yep. (laughs) Well, this has been so fantastic, Mark, as I knew it would be. Our our relationship has always uh, spanned wonderful conversations and how many we've had that I've been like, damn, if I just had record on, um, you know, we would have captured a lot of great information. Uh, but today has been fantastic. Thank you for your time and your wisdom. Um, I know we'll do it again because, uh, just the fruits of having a conversation with another human being in the we of you and me trying to figure this stuff out. It's a, we're, we're powerful, you know, curious discoverers and we're trying to, reframe the conversation that men and women are trying to have women and women, whatever the gender relationships are, but it's a, it's a difficult, uh, it's a difficult time. We're in a stressful time globally. And the more we can do to, to help settle ourselves down and Mm -hmm. de-stress ourselves and have uh, close and meaningful relationships with others, uh, even through the internet like this one. Um, are, are wonderful. And, uh, and something is emerging. There's no doubt uh, in this moment and in our, in our culture. Well, if anybody wants to learn more about the relational book for parenting, you can come see us at thinkplaypartners.com. Sure. And I'll put a link on the pages and stuff about the podcast today, but uh, thank you. Today's been fantastic, Mark. I really appreciate your, your time. Well, enjoy your day. None of us like to be in uncomfortable situations. And Mark Green's reframing of our down days with the phrase, something is emerging, was a beautiful close and bow put around a wonderful, loving conversation. Thank you for tuning in to Love on the Air. We'll see you on The Whole Parent, and have a great day.